0: Is now doing a postdoc uh, in theology here in Oxford, looking at Lutheran abbeys in North Germany. So, Marie, would you like to go? Yes. At um, first, I would like to thank you very much for letting me participate in this exciting workshop. I've been looking very much forward to it. Um, as you said, my name is Marie and I'm a PhD student in history at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. At the moment, I'm working on a thesis concerning religious agency of Danish noble women in the 16th and 17th century. In this thesis, I'm trying to investigate how noble women engaged in the production and usage of devotional literature. This work is still underway and has a wide range concerning both source material and time span. So, today I would like to confine my presentation to a few handwritten prayer books that date back to the second half of the 16th century. The books have all belonged to noble women and were written and used after the Danish Reformation of 1536. Uh, The aim of this paper is to shed light on how women used their prayer books and how they could be part of establishing a devotional practice. I would like to go into some of the different strategies that women adopted when assembling and using their prayer books. This regards how the prayer books were involved in a social as well as a devotional context. By taking a closer look at these strategies, I hope to be able to draw attention to some of the dynamics that had an influence on religious culture after the Reformation. first, I would like to specify what kind of source material I'm referring to today. There aren't many Danish handwritten devotional books left from the 16th century, but I've noticed that quite a lot of the extant handwritten prayer books were owned by women. That is to say, usually women that came from the noble elite. Um, They could be daughters or wives of, of great vassals, for instance, or of members. Uh, of the King's Council. Um, The frequent representation of noble women in the source material is, however, probably related to the conditions for preserving the manuscripts, which exceeded that of many other members of society. I found and listed about eight prayer books from the second half of the 16th century that have in fact belonged to women. Later on, in the 17th century, the number increases. Nonetheless, speaking in broad terms, these handwritten prayer books have never been thoroughly examined before. As I see it, this is mainly due to the fact that Danish research in early modern book history and history history of literature has tended to focus more on the printed books. I won't be able to describe all of these manuscripts today, so I will restrict this presentation to just a couple of examples. As far as I have been able to conclude, the production and later usage of the manuscripts primarily took place in a private or domestic context. Sometimes we can even trace the ownership of a book through several generations of women from the same family. But at some point, the books were removed from their original context and placed in private book collections. In this regard, the most important private book collection um, is that of another noblewoman called Karen Brahe. It contains many of the manuscripts which have been in the possession of noble women from the 16th and 17th century. Karen Brahe built her collection from a smaller collection established by her mother's aunt Anne Goy. Both women have gathered books belonging to their relatives and other noble families. In the early 18th century, the book collection formed the basis for the library in a convent of noble maidens found by Karen Bra. Maybe I should say that um, I've chosen to maintain the Danish pronunciation of names, uh, since I must admit that it was too complicated for me to figure out how they would be (laughs) pronounced in English. As far as I know, there is no printed devotional literature written by Danish women from the 16th century, but it seems as though women have sometimes taken the role of patrons of printed books. Each of the manuscripts I've looked at is unique in terms of both form and composition, and therefore you cannot always compare them one to another. But some similarities between them may be discerned. For example, they are all pocket-sized books, books and therefore easy to carry around. Another similarity is that many of the books have been written not by one, one individual, but by a number of people in mixed gendered networks. I would like to focus on these books for a while. <laughs> It is unfortunately not possible to identify who wrote the books, always um, not possible to identify them. Uh, But when it is the case, I've noticed the following. The book owner has primarily asked her relatives and family members to contribute to her book. Um, It is mainly her brothers and sisters, cousins and children. I should also add that the contributors did not always include the book owner herself. I would like to call attention to a prayer book containing many different handwritings. It belonged to Geese Brockenhus, and the majority of the texts in her book were written around 1596. Here mainly on the first two pages there are a number of short religious sayings, quotes and ciphers, followed by a signature for each one who wrote them. The majority of the writers were related to Goethe Brockenhus as her cousins. The rest of the book is mainly comprised of longer prayers written by her brother and father. Another example is a book owned by a noblewoman called Christine Witfeld, written around, around 1562. Although we do not know who wrote the prayers, uh, two of her brothers had added some writings on the first page of the book. Picture there. Um, another one belonging to a noblewoman called Khan Rono contains prayers and texts written by two of her sons and her sister. From these examples, we can see that putting together a prayer book for personal use was not always perceived as an individual or isolated activity. It could be a collective task as well. In addition to that, the kind of short, pious sentences we see written in, for instance, the prayer book of Gese Brockenhus, the first one, um, remind us of the writings also known from the so-called album Amicorum or Stammbuch, as it is called in German. Books of this kind were commonly used by Danish noblemen when going abroad and visiting foreign universities. In this way, the prayer books show us that women could use them, like noblemen use their album amicorum, to position themselves within networks. Thereby, the books could be a means uh, of strengthening the social community which the woman belonged to. In addition to this, the exchange of prayers, which was part of the collective writing process of some of the books, did not only serve as a way of sharing information about the best practice of prayer. It could also create a space for negotiating religion or cultivating a shared set of values. It is noteworthy that the women, when setting up a devotional practice, to a great extent incorporated and nourished the family and kinship structures. Uh, If we go deeper into the way the, the manuscripts were put together, it becomes apparent that they mainly consist of compilations of prayers adapted from the devotional literature in print. By the end of the 16th century, the Danish printed devotional literature was closely connected to the German book market. A lot of translations of German books were prevalent on the Danish book market. Maybe I should also mention that the texts in the manuscripts are, most, are mostly held in Danish but on occasion we find a few texts in German or Low German. The compilation of prayers in the manuscripts could take the form of transcriptions, translations or any other kind of careful selections of text, sometimes in a re-edited form. I have not yet undertaken the complex and very difficult survey of unravelling all the source texts of the prayers in the manuscripts and thereby I cannot go into details about the practice of adapting and applying texts from the printed books. I have noticed, however, that the contributors hardly ever disclosed their sources when writing. This seems to indicate that the prayer books first and foremost served as instruments within the devotional practice. The intended use of the texts must therefore have been part of the. of the consideration when they were chosen for the books. Okay. So, uh, what do the books tell us about the devotional practice of the noblewoman? Due to our time limit, I will restrict myself to mentioning just a few points. By interpreting the books as usage literature, and focusing on what we might call situation prayers, the books convey an idealistic use of prayer and worship as a recurrent and integrated part of daily life. This is especially the case with the very frequently adopted morning and evening prayers which occur in almost all of the women's prayer books. They can be seen as signs of a certain tendency, namely that people once again after the Reformation sought a ritualized form of devotional practice. Transcriptions from a Danish uh, translation of the German prayer book by Johann Habermann, in English called Morning and Evening Prayers, which appears for the which appeared for the first time in the fifteen sixties sometimes occur in the manuscripts. The prayer book by Habermann is based on a template constituted by morning and evening prayers for each day of the week. But because of the often uh, collective writing process of the manuscripts, the strict arrangement of this prayer book for instance, is not usually transferred to the manuscripts. As I've said, they were often continuously written by a larger group of people, and therefore there's usually not a clear pattern in the composition of the manuscripts. The manuscripts did not always just serve the daily devotional life. Sometimes they were instigated by a personal crisis or a life-changing experience of the noble woman. As an example of this, I would like to point out one prayer book owned by Anne Braher. She must have received her prayer book by the time she got married in 1592, because an unknown scribe has added some prayers about marriage in the beginning of her book. The rest of the prayer book is written several years later by herself. By that time, her husband has died in a war between Denmark and Sweden. Many of her own prayers express her situation as a widow. They tell us that because her husband was dead, she now felt like a fatherless child and that she needed God to guide her through life. Moreover, she asked for a reunion with her husband in paradise. In other words, she is thereby stating that she would not mind dying soon. Uh, In choosing this way of presenting herself in the prayers about her widowhood, she deliberately applied one of the strategies available to widows. By choosing to abstain from earthly pleasures and to direct her attention towards the afterlife, she presents herself as an idealized and indeed very pious woman. So, to sum up, uh, the examples from the handwritten prayer books I've mentioned in this paper Demonstrate that when noble women assembled and used their books, they at the same time participated in a dialogue with networks of people and with the printed literature. Though these manuscripts uh, were not, uh, or they were primarily intended for personal use, we have seen that they were not, strictly speaking, very private. Uh, they were circulated among people, uh, written jointly, or maybe handed over to the next generation. All of this uh, constitute a devotional practice in which women also seem to have played a central and dynamic role, I think.